Welcome to SBC This Week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is here with me, and we're so glad that you're listening along with us. Hi, Brandon. Hi We there. are in the same room. <laughs> we are. For the first time in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if folks listening can tell a difference, like when, when we do the Zoom version of the yeah. podcast or whether we're together in the same room. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, there you go. So well, uh, if, we had, if we had a way to make a survey, maybe we would have a survey <laughs> question where folks got back to us. Well, Laura, this this first couple of weeks of January, uh, first, it's still hard to remember what day it is. Mm -hmm. And second, man, it has been busy. This has not been a slow start to 2024. No, we've had busy, busy every day, lots of stuff coming at us. And the seminaries aren't even in session yet. And so it's only going to get busier. But yeah. Yeah. It's not been a, a, a holiday lull at all. <laughs> no, not not at all. So uh, we are about, what, a month? We're closing in maybe maybe five weeks away from the EC meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, trustee meetings are beginning to ramp up over the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. And so uh, lots of things coming on the horizon um, that, that we can see. It's exciting. Good stuff. Absolutely. So let's start right there with the EC. Um, the, the top thing that we were going to mention today is the EC candidate announcement. Yeah. So the uh, presidential search team who is uh, tasked with finding a new leader for the executive committee announced earlier this week that they have a candidate. They conducted interviews with all kinds of people, apparently lots of people, um, but this particular candidate uh, rose to the top and they said they have, uh, in due diligence, we gathered references from over 60 people from every walk of SBC life. Mm. And so um, uh, comes highly recommended. We don't know who it is yet. They have not announced that yet. But uh, we will very soon, Yeah, apparently. Yeah, the, the clock is ticking. Set to make that announcement to the public on February the 18th. Yeah, exciting. So just around the corner. All right. Also, uh, news from Dallas, Texas. Ah, uh, warm Dallas, Texas here. In, <laughs> Maybe. In, Sometimes in, it gets cold there. I don't know what it is right well, now. Well, that's yeah. true. We, we're expecting lots of winter weather here in Nashville. In yeah, I keep area. checking it because my kids are so excited about potential snow. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But, you know, whenever and I... I'm, I'm, I mean, really, it's me. It's yeah. my kids, but... I shouldn't just blame it on them because I, I love snow. As a native Floridian, I get real excited about snow still. That's true. So. That's true. But but when we think of Texas, we think of sunny, warm yeah, that's days. True. Yeah. So anyway, news from Texas. Guidestone um, announced a new partnership with Global Methodists this week. Right. So uh, if you have followed, uh, followed the story at all the last few years, you probably know that the United Methodist Church has undergone a bit of a schism. Uh, over uh, gay marriage and the ordination of uh, gay uh, and homosexual priests and uh, pastors, bishops, things of that nature. And so um, they, the conservative churches, many conservative churches have left the United Methodist denomination and have formed a new denomination called the Global Methodist Church. And that denomination is now partnering with our own Guidestone Financial Resources to manage the employee benefits for their employees. Mm -hmm. So that includes like their maybe uh, their retirement benefits and things of that nature, just like we get here at the executive committee. Guidestone handles that stuff for us, too. Okay. And so this isn't the first time that they've worked with a different denomination. They've worked with several others in the past. Um, but this one came about this week. We, we heard this news about this brand new denomination. Uh, being helped by Guidestone. Okay, very good. Another story we had this week was um, how churches should tell their congregation about abuse allegations. And, um, you know, this story, I think, took more 
digging than maybe we initially anticipated because there are so many layers to what happens when there is an abuse allegation in a church. Right. Um, The... It's very clear and clearly defined what to do first. Yeah, with the civil authorities. Yes. Mm-hmm. You call you call your local law enforcement and you begin uh, procedures for mm-hmm. protecting the victim and ministering to the victim. So there's lots of information out there for that. Mm-hmm. But what we learned is there's not a whole lot of information when it comes to how do you tell the church body mm-hmm. after the fact. Uh, how do you inform them so that... You know, maybe perhaps if it happened in the children's ministry, you want the other parents to know what has happened. or mm-hmm. um, And who who do you tell? How broad do you tell? Do you tell everyone? Um, of course, the c- considerations are, are almost endless because it, a lot of it depends on the size of the church and who knows everyone. And if it's a small church, perhaps if you told, you might uh, embarrass a victim. Mm-hmm. You might... Uh, reveal their identity and they may not wish for that to happen. And mm-hmm. so you have to take all that into account. But um, this is a really helpful story. Yeah, uh, Scott Barkley, um, one of our great reporters here at Baptist Press, found some good resources that do kind of help churches walk through this. And what you, what you do do and how do you do tell your church? Mm-hmm. Um, he found some resources. Of course, part of it was just from the handbook that we already had, the, the how, how to care well for the, yeah. becoming a church that cares well for the abuse. Right. You probably have heard of that handbook. That handbook does have some information about that. It says communicate with the congregation verbally and in writing to inform them about the abusive leader and the basic allegations. It should be done in consultation with law enforcement and knowledgeable mm-hmm. experts. Mm-hmm. So that's a key thing. Yeah. Um, because... Like you say, there's like we said, there's all those variables that need to be taken into account. Ineffective communication could potentially harm the victim as well as the investigation. So that's just important to just to do it the right way. Yeah. And um, also, I thought this was interesting in the story. He talked to uh, a member of the SBC's abuse reform implementation task force, the ARITF, mm-hmm. and they have a document that's coming very soon within the next few weeks that does further go into this and outline once there has been a case of abuse and after you have called law enforcement and you've started an investigation and all the things that you're supposed to do, what are the next steps? And so I look forward to seeing that document. I'm sure we'll have a BP story about it when the time comes. Yeah. So Laura, we'll keep following up with that. Um, There's also a couple of stories in the public square that we have uh, been paying attention to this week. One of them comes from Ohio, the Ohio House of Representatives overrode the Republican governor, Mike DeWine's veto of a bill protecting youth under age 18 from gender transitions and limiting women's sports teams to biological females. The Ohio Senate is expected to concur January the 24th in overriding DeWine's veto. So we'll keep an eye on that. And then another story in Ohio, this one is abortion-related. The Supreme Court will rule on a case involving an Idaho law that bans nearly all abortions in the state. The high court agreed to hear the challenge to the law, knowing as the def- it's known as the Defense of Life Act. It makes it a felony for doctors to perform most abortions with an exception for procedures performed when necessary to save the life of the 
mother. Um, the court expects to hear the case in April and to make a decision uh, sometime this summer. Uh, Laura, we had two tragedy stories this week, one involving a, well, they both involved a pastor, one involved a pastor specifically, the other involved um, a church in Missouri. First one is in North Carolina, and that's where a, a, a just a tragic crash that, that involved a moving truck and another vehicle um, resulted in a fire, and Carter McNeese, who had just finished up a pastorate in North Carolina, was relocating his family to Shalimar, Florida. The moving truck was involved in this head-on collision. The driver of the other crash, or other car died, and the truck, the moving truck, caught on fire and destroyed all of the family's belongings. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just a devastating hmm. situation. Um you, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like this happening before, of yeah. a moving truck just losing all of your belongings in a fire like that. And, of course, the tragedy of the other driver being killed. But uh, a group of pastors uh, sort of jumped into gear mm-hmm. and set up a GoFundMe for the McNeese family to help uh, begin replacing some of their items. And uh, as of this afternoon, I checked right before we recorded the podcast here, the goal was $10,000, yeah. and they're at... $9,760 right yeah, now. So they've great. almost met the goal. Yeah. Pretty pretty encouraging. Yeah. And uh, Carter McNeese and his family, obviously also asking for folks to pray for the family involved back in North Carolina where the, the, the driver of the other vehicle was killed. Um, and then also a fire. Yeah, two um, fire stories. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I looked up Williamstown, Missouri. That's where mm-hmm. this happened. I looked it up because I used it on Good News for today. How many people do you think live in Williamstown, Missouri? Oh, my goodness. I hate questions like this because okay. I'm going to get it wrong. How about uh, 1,047? 60 is what I found. What? 60, yeah. <laughs> oh and so gosh. so th- this is the last church. Um, Providence Baptist Church is the last church in Williamstown, Missouri. Wow. They, they uh, have about um, somewhere between uh, 30, 40, something like that in regular attendance at the church. And um, just a devastating fire for the, the church and the parsonage this week and the 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 strange thing about it is that those two buildings are a quarter of a mile right. apart from one another. Right. So it's not like the fire sp- started in one place and spread to the other place. And that then brought in not only firefighters to fight the fire, but it brought in the ATF and some other agencies to begin an investigation. That's right. They are investigating as a potential hate crime mm. because it was it was clearly intentional. Now, the good news is the pastor and his family didn't live at the parsonage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They had lived there at one point, but they live in another house now. So the parsonage was empty and the church building was empty. So there were no injuries, uh, but both buildings were total losses. It took the fire department all day to get the fires out. And of course, and like you said, they're investigating it as a possible hate crime because it was obviously intentionally set at both places. Yeah. And they're even offering a $5,000 reward for if anyone has any information about the origin of these fires. Yeah, so we thank our our friends at the uh, Missouri Baptist Pathway for helping with that story and getting that information passed along. Um, also, some resources available this week, Laura, the SBC Annual. Um, we've had those here in the building at the Executive Committee for a few weeks and began mailing some of them out um, uh, before Christmas and a few more right after Christmas. But now we're we're, we're ready that they're on the, it's on the website. It's been on there a little while, but now we're ready to really let folks know because it should be out there yes, in circulation. Yes, the SBC Annual, which has all of the information out of the annual meeting in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I got to interview Nathan Finn, who's mm-hmm. the SBC Recording Secretary. I wrote a little story about the fact that the annual was, was finished and ready to be looked at and, and uh, up online. 
And it was uh, it was really neat talking to Nathan. This, of course, is his first year putting the annual together after mm-hmm. John Yates had been doing it for so long, yeah. 25 years. And so uh, it was just interesting to hear his perspective on it and what he learned, even though he was already very familiar with Southern Baptists and their work. You still, when you are immersed in it like that, you end up learning things. So this particular annual, of course, you can read all about the proceedings in New Orleans where we uh, elected to find churches out of fellowship, uh, where we passed all of the resolutions, maybe the first faith group that passed a resolution about artificial intelligence. You can read that in there. You can read the resolutions about uh, the the office of pastor being reserved for men, but also a sort of a complimentary resolution about the the giftings of women in mm-hmm. ministry, and so um, all that in the in the annual. Yeah, lots of information there. Um, also, a piece from Shane Pruitt this week, a, a book, a resource from uh, Lifeway, where he works together with them. It's called Revival Generation. And uh, it came out January the second. Laura, I saw it was was at the top. It was way up high on Amazon when it when it first hit the hit the marketplace. Oh wow! I didn't know that. I mm-hmm. hadn't looked, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised because he's he's a very strong voice in that in that arena of reaching the next generation and getting them on board and and uh, and strengthening their faith. Absolutely, he inspires me to wear white shoes. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know. Maybe I don't know not. what the age cutoff is for white shoes. Well, maybe not here at work, but but in other places I do. So, yeah. Anyway, um, we we have many conversations about dad shoes at, at my at the Porter home. So, um, I I mostly listen and take notes. <laughs> oh my goodness, my daughter can actually wear my shoes now. She's t- she's her feet are big enough, and yeah. And um, I'm 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 happy to say that she actually does want to wear some of my shoes. So that makes me feel good. <laughs> I, guess. Go. I don't know. <laughs> Well, we have uh, a first person this week that's going to lead us into our history moment. And so uh, Danny Aiken, president over at Southeastern Seminary, uh, the good folks there sent us a, a first person from him. And Dr. Aiken talked about missions and theology and how they are meant to be kept together because the Bible never separates them. Yeah, um, it was a really interesting uh, first person, I thought. I, I feel like it was things that you knew, but it, he he put them together in a way that maybe you hadn't quite thought of before. Yeah. And uh, I love that he talked about um, how theology and missions have to go hand in hand. And the greatest theologian slash missionary of all time was the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. And he kind of goes into detail about how he marries theology and missions. And uh, it was just really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah Very it interesting. was. I would, some, I would encourage people to read it. Some re- really neat phrases in there about how he was a missionary before he was a theologian. Right. You know, I mean, right. it, was really, it was really interesting. So, um, and so, dun, da, 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 that, that ties, that, that's the yes. official SBC This Week sounder now for the history moment. You should have a sound effect for a segue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> and it has to do with Dr. Danny Aiken. Yes, so our history moment today is this week in 2004, exactly 20 years ago, uh, Danny Aiken was elected unanimously by the trustees of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary to be their new president. Awesome. January 15th, and uh, it was unanimous, like I said. He had been an assistant professor of theology at Southeastern Prior to that, in the mid-90s, and then he went went to Southern, and he was the dean of the School of Theology there at Southern for a few years. Uh And then in 2004, he went to Southeastern. He said at the time, he counted it a great, great honor to come back home and be part of one of the greatest schools in the world. 
And I love this. He said, I don't, I don't have a renovation assignment. Mm. So he didn't come in like expecting to change everything. He said, mm. I have a glorious assignment of climbing on board a speeding train that's going in the right direction. Wow. <laughs> so that's I thought good. that was neat. And then just a few weeks later, I wanted to go ahead. This is not necessarily this week in history. Okay. But just a few weeks later, he, he spoke at the first convocation there at Southeastern. This was like his first chance to address the whole, cl- the whole class. And, um, they said it was a wintry convoca- convocation because the campus was covered in snow and ice. Mm. This was late January of 2004, and he went and he uh, went into seven principles that he wanted to apply there while mm. he was at Southeastern, and they're really good. I had fun going back and reading these stories about that. And this was not too long after I started working at, at mm-hmm. BP, and so I was early days. I didn't know who Danny Aiken was yeah. or what Southeastern Seminary was or. Any of that, even though I knew I read, I know I read these stories at yeah. the time, but we well, have to give us to at least back. a few of the okay, seven. Okay, so I underlined I mean, a, just few a few of them. Yeah, it's a complete surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, a growing knowledge of theological truth, a radical passion for the exclusive Christian missionary mandate, a devotion to personal evangelism, hmm. and fifth, dedicated to training pastor teachers to equip the saints for ministry. Uh, an unashamed emphasis on expository preaching, and finally, consistent attention and focus on biblical truth as the means to be conformed to the image of Christ. Mm. So, pretty Very cool. Yeah. yeah, and you know, if you were to think of over the twenty-year span of his leadership there, I think you can see points along the way where those oh, yeah. things he's really emphasized those things. Not not that he's not doing that now, but specific. Yeah. I think about conferences and events and times that I've heard him speak and things that I've read of his. Yeah. You know, interesting. So, yeah. That's very neat. neat. Very good. Well, thank you so much for listening to SBC this week. We sure hope it's warm where you are. And um, if it's not, that you are uh, handling it well and um, trusting the <laughs> Lord that it will be warm soon. So. Yes, I'm going to be snuggled up all weekend. Yep. That's okay. Well, thank you very much for listening. As always, you can find all these stories and more. There were so many great stories on BP this week, and we couldn't even get to them all today. So find all this at baptistpress.com. Thanks for listening.